Hey guys, how are we doing? It's Juad with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thank you for joining me again this week. A little bit later than we would have hoped, but um, yeah, my intention was to record actually Thursday night, being last night, but uh, Mother Nature and public transport don't really mix very well together. So yeah, ended up getting home a bit later than I would have liked, you know, probably much later, (laughs) to be honest. Um, And then by that time it was like, yeah, I'm not really in the shape to be... um, recording anything at this stage so yeah i thought i'd do it um friday morning um ahead of the belgian grand prix weekend ahead of free practice coming up a bit later so you know let's get straight into it and it's not really quieted down on the on the news front you know like so many months without anything um happening and whatnot earlier in the year and now all of a sudden it's just news story after news story and you know with f1 it um, just continuing which is great you know and some people are like yeah it's it's a bit too much for them to handle but then you know you got to keep up with it if you want to um, want to stay abreast of everything that's going on and yeah some big stuff actually and I'm sure I mentioned it last week about the Concord agreement to um, with all 10 teams signing it between for 21 sorry 2021 to 25 um big moment landmark moment in f1 history obviously with um liberty media as the not not going to say new owners anymore because they've been in here for a few years but um you know this is their sport now you know they basically trying to right the wrongs of the previous commercial rights holders um hoping for a more fairer and equal championship uh, with the more fairer distribution of prize money as well, making it a more sustainable championship as well, not only financially but also environmentally as well, which is quite important. So, you know, a lot of future proofing and future planning, which I like to see. And of course, you know, the fact that all ten teams have signed up to this as well means that they've they clearly see that their future is within Formula One. So, you know, we had doubts or some people had doubts about Mercedes and, you know, Ferrari always like to chuck up a bit of a a hissy fit here and there. And then some of the, you know, lesser cash-rich teams, you know, like Haas as well, you know, questioning their presence in F1 if they're not doing very well. You know, teams like uh, Sauber, Alfa Romeo, who are struggling at the moment as far as performance is concerned. And then Williams being the big one, you know, and I think them signing up, but then straight after that announcing the sale, the successful sale of their team. So um, that was the next big news item on the agenda. Williams uh, sold officially to Dorleton Capital from the US, an investment firm. Um, and that in itself is another landmark moment in the team's history and in F1 history too, given how Williams is so um, so much a part of the fabric of the sport. Um, you know, never would any of anyone have thought the day would come where a family team or the family team would end up selling to someone externally. But you know, it's happened. It's the it's the times we live in. Williams have had it really tough over the last few years, not only with their on-track performances, which, you know, let's be fair, the last two years have been um, pretty dreadful, but also financially as well and, you know, management-wise. You know, we had Paddy Lowe leaving, guys like Rob Smedley left as well, um, and Paddy Lowe especially needed a big payout as well. So, yeah, they've, they've been in dire straits, that team. So announcing the sale and everything earlier in the year and then now successfully selling to, to this investment firm is actually, 
in a way, good news um, because it secures the long-term future of that team. And the big thing that everyone was worried about is whether by selling the team, would they be selling the um, with the the name and the brand, the heritage, would that die off? And it seems like no. You know, they've come out straight away and said that the um, the new owners intend to protect that legacy, protect that heritage, and also that brand because you know what's the point of coming in you know and just rebranding coming in with a new name or something it's not really equitable you could say it's not really going to get them anywhere and given that you've got a name like williams for you know marketing and also just getting it out there for sponsorship as well you know a name like williams does hold a lot of power even though they've not been in the best place uh, the last couple of years so i think you know as much as it's sad to see the family have to to do this. I think it's absolutely crucial for Williams's future to be able to stay in Formula One to perhaps you know one day become competitive again. Whether it's um, going to be 2022 when the new regulations kick in, because let's be fair, you know there's you can't expect anything in the next year from them. So they're really just going to have to put their eggs into the 2022 basket, like most teams will be at the moment uh, if they do have that intention of getting competitive. Teams like Renault, Racing Point with Aston Martin, McLaren as well. Um, that's the opportunity, I guess, that everyone has to to start fresh um, and with these new rules with the new budget cap measures and everything it's perfect for a team like Williams to to launch a bit of a revival so best of luck to them everyone loves Williams I'm sure I don't know anyone out there who doesn't like Williams if you do you should just um take a look at yourself in the corner you know and uh perhaps rethink your life because yeah if you're a fan of formula one then i'm sure williams is going to be you know your second or third favorite team um and an interesting point too that given that how many what is it like seven out of the ten teams are based in the uk i think or you know something like that but all of them now because williams prior to this sale were still owned by um a UK, you know, people in the UK, but now all your British teams are owned by foreign foreign investors. So yeah, you know, I guess it's an end of an era in that way. But that's where the money's at, and unfortunately, that's what makes the world go around. So you know, that's that's that. <laughs> Some uh, calendar news as well, which was really exciting. I'm sure for a lot of uh, fans of F1 who've been following through the 2000s and uh, 2010, 2011 Turkish Grand Prix back on this year. Uh, November 15, that date's been locked in, and then also the last few races of the 2020 season. So we'll be in Bahrain for another doubleheader, uh, November 29 and then December 6. So I'm sure that the second race will, or yeah, second race, which is uh, called the Sakia Grand Prix, obviously the Sakia International Circuit, that might utilize the uh, outer loop of the track, which has been talked about, but not, I think, confirmed just yet. And then, yeah, finishing the season off December 13 at Abu Dhabi Yas Marina circuit. So, 17 races, hey. We didn't think that when we looked to resume the championship uh, after, or start the championship, I should say, after the uh, COVID pandemic essentially wiped out the first quarter of the year uh, that we would have 17 races so hats off to Liberty Media kudos to them the FIA for working 
round the clock to make this happen. And also, you know, the teams as well, teams and crews, you look at the circuit people as well uh, to make this happen, the staff and marshals and everything to, to get on board. So, yeah, November 15, Turkish Grand Prix. I'm sure everyone's excited to see that have come back and happen. So much history, so many good moments there. I'm sure as a Ferrari fan, you'd probably look at that circuit pretty fondly. Felipe Massa winning there three years in a row. You had some Lewis Hamilton wins there as well. You had uh, Red Bull with some controversy. Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber back in 2010. That was a flashpoint in that year's championship, as I've talked about previously. But yeah, it's just something, you know, somewhat of a fan favourite and I'm sure a lot of people who have just started watching F1, you could say, and there seems to be a few people who've come out of the woodwork for that, um, will look at it and be like, wow, what a great track. So yeah, I think my only big bugger is, you know, the big bugger is that um, we can't get these on the new F1 game, all these new tracks that have been added into the game, but um, they've said that, yeah, it's not very equitable or not equitable there. Not very possible for them to to patch them into the game this uh, just yet. So yeah, I guess this is you know we're gonna have to enjoy it this year watching them all the new races. Looking forward to Mugello coming up in two weeks' time or three weeks, I should say. <laughs> uh, Imola a return there as well. Portimao I'm looking forward to, and also uh, the Nurburgring as well. We've had some good races there in the past, so looking forward to that. Apologies as well if I'm sounding a bit nasally today. It's, um, I guess, not COVID-related, thank goodness, but um, spring weather seems to have already kind of popped up here in, in Melbourne. And yeah, springtime is kind of, as much as it's nice to get some good weather finally after a, a pretty miserable winter, it does play or it does wreak havoc with one's allergens. So yeah, I've been feeling a bit um, nasally last few weeks and just sneezing a lot. It constantly feels like I've got like a little... Um, brush tickling around in my nose as well so yeah not the most pleasant feeling and yeah just it makes you feel awful but yeah alas no nothing to be afraid or concerned about <laughs> in relation to to COVID of course because yeah we're, we're still in the midst of that um but yeah just going to be inhaling a bit of eucalyptus every every now and again to to try and clear it up and if i start sounding a bit nasally then yeah i'll probably pause and do a bit of that you know do do eucalyptus lines or something that's not even possible anyway um yeah so calendar finally sorted 17 races and you know by the end of the year i'm sure everyone will be happy to to take a big break as well and then look back and reflect on on what kind of a year this has been uh, got another triple header coming up of course three weekends back to back so spa monza then Mugello, then a break again uh for a week then uh russia and then i think russia's kind of a standalone before we do another one i'll have to confirm that with you look at the calendar but yeah it's it's you know didn't think that we'd get to 17 races overall like i guess a couple I would say you could have done without, you know, especially after watching the Spanish Grand Prix last time, it was like, yeah, we could have probably done without it, and maybe even even Russia, but, you know, I guess they've got to go to those venues, um, they bring in a lot of money into the sport, and at the moment they really need it, so yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see at the end of the year um, how they all shape up, and um, how we look back at them, and of course, finally, Racing Point 
um, the controversy that's been going on for ages, it seems like. Renault have officially decided to drop their protest. You know, they've they come out and said that, yeah, this controversy, controversy should be put behind us. And I guess, you know, there probably is an element of satisfaction in what... Um, the FIA is presented in front of them, that Renault that is. Uh, there's not much more, as I've said before, that um, the FIA could do about Racing Point. It's not like they can tell them to go change their brake ducts for the rest of the year. You know, that requires, obviously, a lot of development as well. Um, time and money that you've got to put into it, especially with this condensed championship as well, is not really... Um, the right thing to do or is not even possible to do but then also um yeah just they'd have to change so many aspects of the car to accommodate just the brake ducts so yeah it's one that you know in the future i'm sure we're going to avoid you know they're going to use this as a precedence and um that's it but you know for now we've just got to deal with it and again racing point looking very competitive they were competitive out in, in spain best of the rest you could say behind Mercedes and Red Bull but um, yeah whether it's gonna they're just gonna run away with that position of the championship it'll remain to be seen but um, you know I made the prediction right at the start of the new season let's say back before the Austrian Grand Prix that I reckon if anything Racing Point's consistency might hurt them on race day but it seems that yeah Lance Stroll as well has come on board Sergio Perez looked really good as well after returning from his positive for coronavirus diagnosis so yeah we're just gonna have to see how they go 17 races it's gonna be a long year it's gonna be a valid championship which i always thought it would be i don't know about you know putting an asterisk against it or anything you know it's it's yeah championship is however whatever how many races they have so just deal with it you know it's it's a lot worse for supercars i think given that what is it we've gone one adelaide sydney twice uh darwin townsville potentially queensland raceway which is five six so we've only probably had six circuits we're probably only going to have six circuits represented this year in the supercars championship so how's that you know you're going to call that an invalid championship no so you know it's it's at the end of the day where you get the results how you get them you know that's that's it <laughs> all right let's move into belgian grand prix preview it's going to be a good one it always is at spa it's that big track that you know everyone likes mix a good mix of corners uh, microclimate as well which is really important and i'm sure most people will be hoping for rain this weekend to, to mix up the race and there is um, rain forecast which will be music to everyone's ears I'm sure but you know as it as it always happens we forecast rain we predict rain's coming and then it probably hits like 10 minutes after the race is done so you know they're just looking looking down upon Mercedes the rain gods and be like okay yeah we'll, we'll, we'll help you out we'll help you out so not not that you know Mercedes couldn't win in the wet too I think they're they're strong pretty much given any condition we saw that in Hungary but um you know it just throws a lot more variables in there which I'm sure people will want so yeah you know the dominance I'm sure has put a lot of people to sleep this year I mean they've won only five out of six only only i say um five out of the six races it was good to see max verstappen get in there at the um the 70th anniversary grand prix 
or British Grand Prix, whichever one it was. Yeah, pretty sure it was the 70th anniversary <laughs> race. Um, but are we going to see that happen again this weekend? Like, Mercedes have had a bit of a mixed record at Spa over the last few years. Uh, out of the six races we've had in the hybrid era so far, they've only won three. But, you know, Lewis Hamilton has still been the one to beat. Hard to see him being beaten if all things go to plan if you're doing predictions if you're doing the f1 fantasy then you got to have lewis hamilton in your team it's it's guaranteed to get you those points that you need um valtteri bottas though you know just hasn't been able to back up that victory in austria talked about it last week too how potentially i think maybe it's championship over for him you know he's going to have to rely on a bit of misfortune heading lewis's way to to be able to claw back those points uh kind of like, you know, the position Nico Rosberg found himself in uh, heading into Malaysia 2016 and then that engine blowout basically put him back into the hunt. So, yeah, you know, Lewis, a guy who doesn't make mistakes, who's very consistent, it just looks unlikely. So what's the best that Bottas can do? I guess he can just come out and win the race if, if possible. He hasn't won before at Spa, so that's going to be a bit of a challenge, whereas Lewis has had three wins there. And just the form that Lewis is in, I'm sure he is just going to be very hard to beat. <laughs> um, no fans for Max Verstappen's second home race. I could guess you could say, well, it's been his kind of quasi-home race for the last few years. Anyway, given that his mother is Belgian, um, no Dutch Grand Prix this year as was hoped there to be. But yeah, I'm sure he'll still relish the fact that he's racing on you know, quasi-home soil, and, uh, you know, no falling that Red Bull are going to be second quickest, they do pretty well around here normally, I guess they don't have to worry about Ferrari this year, because Ferrari have been quite strong at Spa over the last couple of years, Vettel had a, a, a win back in 19, bit of a masterclass for him, and then also Leclerc last weekend, he was, sorry, Vettel won back in 18, whereas Leclerc went, won last year, bit of a masterclass for him, to take his first win in Formula 1 as well from pole position. So I don't think that's going to happen this weekend. They're ready for a tough weekend, quote-unquote. Um, and also they came out and identified that it was the ECU uh, having problems back at the Spanish Grand Prix, that cruel Charles Leclerc there. So hopefully they get on top of that for this weekend. But yeah... You know, they'd be lucky to even make it on the podium if possible. I mean, Leclerc's been able to bag a couple of podiums this year, but um, I'm not even predicting a podium for them. And that's that's not being harsh. It's just the uh, the reality that they find themselves in. And what about Sebastian Vettel, though? Is that, you know, is there going to be news about his future too? You know, nothing, media day's already happened, so and we haven't heard anything in regards to Sebastian Vettel and his future. So, you know, a three-time winner here at Spa, four-time world champion, of course, and still without a drive for 2021. It seems kind of absurd. But hey, Fernando Alonso's found himself a seat for next year, so, you know, surely Seb will be on there. It'll be pretty sad if Fernando comes back and Seb has to leave Formula 1 altogether, I think, you know the more world champions we still have on the grid, provided that they're competitive. And I don't think how Seb is doing this year, it's not all on him. I think, you know, just the lack of motivation from being with Ferrari is causing a lot of his uh, his bad performances too. So it's just, it'll be nice to see him in a new environment if he does 
make it into another team for next year to see that kind of motivate him to to the performances we are used to seeing from old Seb. So yeah, that's where Ferrari are at. I'll go back to to Red Bull now, and yeah, Max. He'll be P2, he'll be on the podium somewhere unless something goes wrong. But um, looking on the other side of the garage and, you know, a lot of people talking negatively still about Alex Albon, unfortunately, this is where he made his uh, fond debut for Red Bull last year, obviously, with the mid-season season switch between he and Pierre Gasly. Um, does he need to answer critics? I don't think so. Is the criticism valid? I don't think so. Like, Red Bull have come out and defended him as well and, you know, basically said that he's doing just as well as Verstappen through quick corners and, and stuff like that. So I don't think it's going to be something he's got to worry about too much. You know, he internally, he'll understand where... Um, where he's at, the team will understand where he's at, just because it's not out in the public, I think it's, uh, you know, making a lot of people very antsy, and they want to know and everything, but, you know, I'm sure Albon will have a good weekend this weekend, he was fast, first race in Austria, he could have even won the race, but then, you know, he's had problems getting to grips with the car, I've said pretty much every week so far, whenever it's brought up that, oh, you know, they should swap he and Gasly again, put Gasly in the Red Bull. I said, well, same thing might happen to Gasly. He might not get along very well with the Red Bull car, and that Alpha Tauri that he's driving might be a lot more easy to drive, and that's why he's doing so well, and the, the less pressure around him there too. So, you know, that story doesn't seem to go away, but I think, you know, Albon's just a, a good race result away from from being able to silence his critics and I think if he ends up on the podium which could be an outside possibility for this weekend I'm sure we're not going to hear much about him later unless of course you know Helmut Marco does decide to come out and swing the axe on him which would be very very terrible very terrible I don't like the Red Bull junior driver program it's brought through some really good drivers of course but just how ruthless they are I think needs to be a bit um needs to be looked at <laughs> maybe a bit inhumane you could say from what I've heard anyway about Helmut Marco in the past and what he does to young drivers um you know just mentally breaking them and all that sort of stuff yeah bit 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 inhumane you could say <laughs> moving it on uh racing point who we talked about before historically this has been a great venue for them um they're going to look to back up their results from spain of course finishing fourth and fifth uh would have been fourth for sergio perez but he had that five second penalty so didn't really hurt the team's result as much because it was lance stroll that was behind and was able to inherit fourth place so um yeah you know they do really well here scene of you know when you go back to their days as jordan as well back into the 90s they've been historically really successful here obviously the track where michael schumacher made his debut into jordan back in 1991 so you know you look at their history other iconic moments giancarlo fisichella taking their first podium here when they were back as force india and then you know just what they've done so far you know last year it was basically where race point made their debut after um the team being placed into administration and then uh lawrence stroll and his uh, consortium of investors coming in to buy out the team so hopefully they'll be hoping sorry <coughs> 
they'll be hoping to go one better, possibly to get on the podium this weekend, which is totally possible as well. So you know they've you know you got so many contenders for finishing on the podium, but um, nothing is certain for sure. And you know typically when you look at this race, it's a race where they used to take power unit penalties. Of course, that's different this year, given that we're only into the seventh race, and they'll probably look to you know maybe doing it somewhere like Monza or even Mugello with some long straights and everything. It might be a bit easier to overtake. But yeah, we're not. We haven't heard anything about power unit changes just yet either. And given that they've got three for the season, I think with seventeen races as well, it's um, pretty fair distribution. So yeah, we're a third of the way through now. Um, and we haven't heard anything about power unit changes and that's what kind of crueled Renault and McLaren last year as well with their races if you remember so hopefully they'll be uh, looking for better better results this weekend um and speaking quickly as well about the uh, ban on engine mode changes as well that's not going to come in this weekend they've uh, delayed that for Monza so we'll see that next time out uh, when we're there at Monza and basically yeah Mercedes have come out and said you know it, it might even help them as far as being in race trim is concerned so you know this rule brought into possibly clip the wings of Mercedes by you know banning those uh, qualifying modes and multiple engine modes that teams have on their power units perhaps not ferrari at the moment but you know everyone else is kind of there or thereabouts um it might even end up helping mercedes in the end so that would be that would be quite something you know it just shoots themselves in the shoot themselves in the foot with that one and finally to uh talking about Charles Leclerc before and how emotional his win was his first win in Formula One I think it was driven more so emotionally by the tragic events that took place a year ago um remembering Antoine Hubert a year after his his untimely passing in the F2 feature race that happened on the Saturday um I didn't watch that race it was a bit too late for me um but just hearing about it and, you know, he's watching or seeing the headline pop up that, um, unfortunately, there was a uh, tragedy and there was a death involved. It just rocks you to the core. I think, you know, we've been, anyone who's watched motorsport long enough and had this happen, I mean, last, I think last time when I was talking about the MotoGP and the crash that happened in, in Austria and then remembering, uh, what happened to Simoncelli as well, it kind of just shakes you to the core again, you know, seeing that this is very much possible, you know, motor racing is dangerous and, you know, a young man losing his life, you know, it's that early, that young, so, yeah, we come here obviously with, with heavy hearts and remembering Antoine a year on and it's a nice gesture there from Formula 2 to retire that number 19 that he was racing with last year, of course, winning a couple of races as well, but, um, yeah it's you know it's a story of what could have been but um we'll remember him of course and i'm sure all his mates as well there at the track this weekend will will race in his honor and will always do so every time they come to spa so yeah rest in peace there antoine and um hopefully they put on a good race this weekend and same goes for f2 as well Alrighty, and then moving it on to supercars as well now. It's not stopping. Obviously, we've had two events in the last two weeks and got another two coming up as well. Now we move to Townsville, but before we get there, I will talk about the Darwin Super Sprint from last weekend. So, a bit of an interesting weekend as we 
recall Scott McLaughlin sweeping the weekend, which uh, just reminded everyone how skilled and talented as a driver as a driver he is and you know gunning for that third straight championship as well I think on that form given all the changes we've had this year as well not only with the tyre rules but also when you look back and look at the aero changes that were made off season to try and bring the Mustang more in line with the Commodore and also the the switch to a control shock absorber as well and the fact that this guy can still get pole position nearly every race and then win three races in a row over the weekend just speaks volumes about the driver rather than you know the kind of car he's driving and all that sort of stuff so yeah big weekend for Scotty he swept the weekend he passed Peter Brock's record of 48 wins in supercars as well Um, actually went further and ended up uh, getting his 51st career win by the end of the weekend so cracked the half century and yeah he's um fifth all-time now on the uh, winner's list for supercars. So, you know, even when you look at race 18, the final race of the weekend, and you had Shane Gisbergen on pole position, Scott qualified second, still was able to walk off the line. So he's credited these um, this little revival in his starts due to some help he's had from his teammate, Fabian Coulthard. So that's been really good to see that Fabs has helped him in that department. But uh, overall now, 177-point lead in the championship over Jamie Wincup. So, and Scotty himself has come out after Darwin and said that he wants a 300-point gap before heading into Bathurst, of course, which looks likely to be our season finale. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but it's it's heading that way, given the uh, ever-changing situation here in Australia, particularly on the East Coast, uh, which affects the Supercars Championship greatly. So 300 points, if you're not aware, is the total amount of points you get for a round in the Supercars Championship. So if he has 300-plus points, coming into the Bathurst 1000 basically he's had the championship wrapped up and that basically allows him to go and uh, get whatever he result he can at Bathurst you know perhaps take a bit more risk to try and win the race for a second year in a row and I'm sure there'll be an element of redemption there as well for not only himself but his uh, DGR team Penske team given the controversy that they had last year with uh, not just um, through the race but even qualifying as it came back that he was using an illegal engine and had his uh, pole position taken away from him there, even though he still started from pole and won the race. What kind of sense does that make? I have no idea. But yeah, when you look at the uh, points gap that he has already, he's more than halfway there with 177 points, so a few more good weekends for him in the lead-up to Bathurst, and you know probably a bit of reliance as well on Triple Eight which are the closest championship rivals at the moment, the Red Bull Holdens, they've got a drop-off as well, and they've not been the most consistent, but Jamie Wincup has been doing a good job as well, and good to see as well over the weekend that Shane Van Gisbergen had his fortunes improve a little bit, they underwent an age engine change on his car, so was able to, with his combined results, move up to third in the championship, but yeah, still 345 points behind, so wasn't able to win a race though, but had a couple of podiums and uh, pole position as well to his credit, so going into Townsville now, Townsville's usually a venue where the Triple Eight cars are more suited, it just looks more like the Red Bull cars and even just the Commodores in general seem to do better on the street tracks where there's less high-speed corners, whereas the high-speed corners seem to suit the Mustang a little bit more. So last year, I think, 
was it Wind Cup or Van Gisberg and that won a race uh, in Townsville. So expect him to be strong this weekend as well um, with that soft tyre allocation too. Um, elsewhere in the championship, Taz Moster dropped to fourth as well. So he had a bit of a rough weekend given how he consistent he's been typically this year so far. He dropped to P18 during race 17. He had a 15-second time penalty for hitting uh, Nick Perkett on lap 33. That was a bit of drama, probably the only drama that we had all weekend, really. But I guess it's, anyway, too early for his team, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, to be in championship contention. It's just good to see them up there and being consistent as well. And I think Bryce Fullwood, his rookie teammate, had some good results too at what was his home race. So they're going to, you know, come online, I think, within the next year or two but um, they're showing some solid signs of improvement compared to where they were last year where, you know, qualifying outside the top 10, top 15 at times and, you know, not being very impressive in the race either. But it was a good weekend, you got to say, for, for Team 18, you know, beating the mothership, as uh, were the words of Scott Pye, their mothership being Triple Eight, given that they have customer cars from them. Uh, Scott Pye finishing with two podiums for the weekend, uh, P3 on both occasions. He was pipped to the line uh, by SVG in race 17. And then Mark Winterbottom's teammate as well, finishing fourth in the last race of the weekend. Bit more crawled you could say his weekend uh he was robbed in race 18 after a late pit stop he was he was looking good on those tires that he had but coming out behind Shane Van Gisberg and uh Gizzy is not very uh, doesn't I guess give up that easily so bit of a fight there took a bit out of Frosty's tires and he uh even though he had the pace he wasn't able to challenge for the podium a bit further up so yeah you know good encouraging signs to see from those guys uh especially as well considering they're one of the victorian teams that have been on the road now for over a month so you know a lot of encouragement for the guys who guys and gals who are working really hard uh, on the road for that team and i'm sure when they do get the opportunity to go back home and be with their families they'll they'll feel really accomplished that you know they've got some good results as well to to um to go for it <laughs> sorry just like you know losing my words and you know block nose and everything it just feels awful <laughs> but yeah good result for those guys um can they back that up in townsville as well given that townsville's typically a circuit where triple eight cars go really well and to actually beat the triple eight cars as well you know that's that's hats off to hats off to them <laughs> And overall, you've got to say that the uh, switch to the soft-only tyres for the weekend, they only had the five sets still, were was able to show or was able to give the drivers the opportunity to show more of their genuine pace. I know there was a lot of complaints with the mixed tyre rule that you know there was a lot of conservation and just results all over the place. But I said in the preview as well last time that Coming to Darwin, Darwin's got low deg in comparison to Sydney Motorsport Park and going to soft only might actually be a lot more balanced than we've seen. But just Darwin overall, the racing was fine. I think we got to see more genuine pace, if anything. It was SNP that was throwing in the Jokers um, into the deck, but... I think, you know, Townsville as well is going to be similar and we're going to see more pace orientated racing than reliance on uh tire life and all that sort of stuff so heading into townsville yeah same allocation of five uh soft tires 
or f not five soft tyres, that would be absurd, but um, five sets of soft tyres for each driver, three 39-lap races as well, um, I guess for Townsville itself, the sprint race format is a bit new, given that we're used to two 200k races um, between the two days, uh, and pit stops, and uh, tyres, fuel, um, fuel it was interesting remembering last year that uh, Nick Perkat who's been on fire I guess as far as his form is concerned but he was literally on fire last year in the pit stops um, it was good to see all the other team members coming out to help and everything but um yeah he will not have that problem this year where he'll literally be on fire in the pit lane so no refueling of course given the uh, limit on pit lane personnel that they can have so yeah looking forward to it again you can never get tired of supercars racing it's always very varied and i guess even though we do have this domination by scott mclaughlin everywhere else there's some there's some good stuff going on and you know the the journey to the outcome is always very exciting so hope to see more of that this weekend and then again next weekend for when we have another round in Townsville finishing off then with some quick shout outs as well MotoGP over the weekend it was emotional I guess for Tech 3 team 20 year wait for them to get their first win in the premier class uh, Tech 3 previously being a Yamaha satellite team moving over to KTM and uh, Miguel Oliveira another uh, young rider another relatively new rider in the MotoGP championship to take his first win and he did it on the last lap too so you know there was another red flag in the race um, with Maverick Vinales having to jump off his bike because there was a brake failure on, on his Yamaha heading into turn one so how scary is that I don't know if you've seen the video or anything but um, jump off the bike or throwing himself off the bike at 250k an hour um, just before the bike went into the gravel and basically just drove straight on into the um, into the uh, fence or whatever so he was so lucky that that crash was not um, or that incident wasn't any more serious than it was but um, Paul Vinales though you know two weekends in a row where he's been in these scenarios and just Yamaha suffering at the moment with their championship it wasn't a great weekend for Fabio Quattararo as well but yeah after that red flag that restarted the race uh, Jack Miller was leading Paul Spargo they were sorry um, though they were both fighting pretty well with each other and what was looking like a likely win for Jack Miller, and I was getting very excited. I'm like, yeah, Jack Miller, first win for Ducati, you know, after winning on the Honda several years ago now, which, yeah, seems like a long time ago back at the uh, Dutch TT in Aston, but yeah, that wasn't to be. They both go a bit too wide into, like, Miller goes wide to hold off a Spargaro going into the final corner, and then there you go, Oliveira sneaks on the inside line and wins the race, so that was very exciting, and yeah, two wins for KTM this year, and two wins from riders that you didn't expect to win for KTM. I think everyone thought, you know, if KTM were to win, it'd be Paul Espargaro who would do that. But, you know, we had Brad Binder back at the Czech Republic and now Miguel Oliveira. So, yeah, great result there for KTM and also for them to win on home soil as well. Austrian Grand Prix. Red Bull was their title sponsor. It's it, You know, they probably had a um, public holiday or whatever, bank holiday, Monday uh, after the race in Austria, so to celebrate, so good results from there uh, for those guys, but yeah, Mark Marquez looks like, you know, 
might be a write-off for him this year. So really, the championship is up for grabs for anyone this year. And, you know, you can put in, you know, Quadraro, Vinales, if they're going to be consistent enough to do it. KTM, they're easily a championship challenger as well. But also Ducati, like, you know, this is probably the best opportunity for Andre Vizioso to be able to win the championship. We already know that he is leaving Ducati at the end of the year, don't know where his future lies, I guess he just wanted to make the announcement, get that off his chest, um, but doesn't have a destination yet for, for 2021, so that'll be a good parting statement for him, if he could do it, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's an intriguing year that we've got ahead on two wheels, so can't wait for that. And yeah, wrapping it off, I guess, intriguing race, the Indy 500 this year, Takuma Sato winning his second Indy 500 in, you know, I think it was like three years or whatever, four years he, he won it back in 2017, I think it was the year that Fernando Alonso raced and there was a bit of a stat for you every time Fernando Alonso races a Indy 500, uh, Takuma Sato wins, so there you go. Bit of controversy though with the finish, how it finished under yellow flags. Um, Spencer Piggott had a nasty, nasty crash not too far from the end there and they just kept the race under caution and uh, basically clocked up the 500 miles uh, under the caution conditions which threw in a lot of doubt there from Scott Dixon because he felt uh, who was the runner-up in the end and led most of the day too. You thought that, you know, given the awesome year that Scotty Dixon's been having that he was going to win the 500 as well. Um but uh, he had some doubts about whether Sato was fueled to the end there. Scott Dixon was. So perhaps, you know, that yellow flag or that caution conditions that they had on the track to the end of the race might have saved Sato's skin there. So good to see the old 43-year-old. <laughs> um, 43's not old, but yeah, you know, for, for some people in racing circles, it seems like an old age. But yeah, good to see the 43-year-old knock up a... Uh, a second win for the, uh, a second win in the Indy 500. You know, I'm sure people will remember his stint as in F1 in the early 2000s as being very unsuccessful, borderline hilarious. But yeah, you know, you don't win the Indy 500 if you're a fool. So great result for him again. Good day too for Graham Rahal, finishing third, getting on the podium, of course, with his uh, dad and team owner present, racing, of course, for the family team, the Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing. That's right, David Letterman also owns that team, for those people who don't know. So, yeah, good to see old uh, Santa Claus up there as well on the podium um, to receive Graham Rahal, Santa Claus being David Letterman, if you haven't seen him these days, support sporting a very big bushy beard and kind of looks like Santa Claus or something else if you want to go there, but uh, let's not. Fernando Alonso unfortunately having a um, bit of a rough day, still finished the race which is good, you know first time he's actually been a classified finisher at the Indy 500 but he had clutch problems which hampered much of his day and then when you look at other results as well it wasn't a great day for the team Penske um team Penske runners as well first year that um Penske has you know obviously since Penske Roger Penske that is bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and also the uh IndyCar series Joseph Newgarden was the best finisher there in fifth whereas um, you had other finishers, Helio Castroneves down in 11th. Not a great day for Simon Paginal, the uh, 
reigning race winner coming into the weekend, 22nd, and then Will Power as well. I mean, where was he? Yeah, 14th for him. So, yeah, not the greatest race for them. And a couple of those drivers, obviously, in championship contention as well, would have wanted those uh, double points that you get for the Indy 500 win. Alonso, just to confirm, finished down in 21st, so ahead of... Uh, of Simon Paginow and your rookie of the year for the Indy 500 as well that honor went to Patricio O'Ward Pato O'Ward in the McLaren car finishing in sixth so good result for him dog of a weekend again for Alexander Rossi I think you know just things go from bad to worse for for the Californian this year finishing down in 27th or classified in 27th um, even though he had an accident um so, yeah, I don't know if this is going to be the year for for Mr. Rossi in the IndyCar Championship. He's been close the last couple of years, but uh, just hasn't been able to get the job done. A bit like Davizioso in MotoGP, but, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. So, anyway, that's it, guys. I think uh, not much more to talk about. But, you know, there's always something to talk about. But I think <laughs> I've reached my capacity for today. Hope you all enjoy the weekend. Um, Get in touch via our Twitter account, hit the Apex Media if you want to talk. But otherwise, I think you'll be busy again this weekend enjoying all the motorsport that we have, supercars and Formula One. I don't think MotoGP's on, but um, yeah, we'll have to wait. I think, yeah, next weekend we've got Mizano. So yeah, until then, take care and um, hopefully I won't have a train delay this uh, next time to be able to record (laughs) when I want to. See you later, guys.